0: Of the 31,102 verses of the Bible, which one would you say is the most important? Of the 1189 chapters, if you were asked to write a two-sentence synopsis of the book of Exodus, the gold the dust cover version of the Bible, what sentences would you write? You know, that's not as... <clears throat> Difficult a question, or those are not as difficult a question to answer as you might think. Because Jesus already answered them for us. Let's go to Mark 12 tonight and read beginning in verse 28. There was a scribe who came and asked Jesus a question. He saw that Jesus had correctly answered the Sadducees' question. And he had earlier answered Herodian's question and a Pharisees' question, and it impressed the scribe. And he asked Jesus his own question. But he brought a different attitude to his questions than had previously been brought by the inquirers. And his question is what is the great commandment of the law? That's Mark 12, 28. And Jesus did not hear and hall. He didn't say, Well, all of the commandments are important, although they are. He did not say, Well, I couldn't really narrow it down just to one. He immediately answered with a quotation from Deuteronomy. And this was a familiar text to all Jews because they said it every morning. But there's a reason they said it every morning. Jesus said, This, this is parallel with Matthew. 22, 37, and 39, which is where we usually read it. But Matthew only includes three categories, and Mark includes four. And Jesus may have answered this question more than once, or perhaps uh, Matthew only included part of the quotation. But let's read in verse uh, 29, when Jesus answered him, the first of all of all command, of the commandments says here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Now, there are three persons in the Godhead that they are united. They are of one nature. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And just like we're all humans, and there are angels, and they're all the same, that is, they're all of the same nature, so there is deity. There's Godhead. And they're all of one nature. Now verse 30, And thou shalt, Here's the answer to this question. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all my strength, this is the first and great command. And then Jesus gives him one to boot. He gives it. Well, you asked me for one. Let me give you two. And, and the second is likened to it: Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commands hang all along prophets. So what he's saying is the nine hundred twenty-nine chapters of the Old Testament, the Law and the Prophets, you could put under two headings. Every command of the Old Testament either goes in the first column. Love God. Or in the second column, love your neighbor. And if you understood properly the concept of love God and love neighbor, you would keep every law in the Old Testament because they're all based on love. Everything that God wants me to do, I would do because I love him, not because he told me I had to. And everything that I ought to do to my neighbor, I would do if I love them. You know, love thy neighbor as thyself. You know, do it to others as you would have them do it to you, Matthew 7 12. So that's a good, easy rule to follow in every situation. Well, how would I want the person to treat me in the situation if the tables were turned? Well, that's what I'll do. Now, we have to consider that because I, I, they, they may have a different perspective than I do. So I'll put myself in their place. You know, men may not view things the same as women, or the young person may be not the same as a grandparent, but generally speaking, Love, love others as you can want to love. Treat others like more you. truth. Now, if you look more closely at this, you really have the four component parts of a person here. You have love God with all your heart. Let's love God devotionally. We're devoted to. You. Love God with all your soul. That's spiritually. That's the innermost part of us. The part that will live forever. The part that's deeper and, and that's more thoughtful than the external man that lives, eats, drinks, and breathes this world. Spiritually. Love God with all your mind. You know, you don't check your door; you check your brain at the door before you come in to worship God. We bring our brains with us. You know, He wants us to worship Him thoughtful. We are to worship in spirit, and in truth. Spirit is attitude. I'm thankful. I'm glad. I'm happy. I'm reverent. That's attitude. But also in truth. Because God expects us to know His will. And to follow His will. And to worship Him because we, we want to do His will. So we, we worship Him when we are devoted to Him intellectually. And then the fourth one is physically. He deserves even our physical strength. That's, that's in opposition to spiritually, but we love Him with the body. We love Him with the strength. We love Him even as our strength gets weaker and less as the years go by, we still give Him what we have. I read some someone somewhere this quote, Most of the great things that are done for the Lord are done by tired people. That's like with me. I know what it's like to be tired. Do you? Some of you probably are tired now. I haven't noticed a single person gone or go to sleep this week, but I know you're getting up early. I know you're working, you're going to school, and you have, you know, you travel miles to get here, miles to get home. So our bodies sometimes are on low energy, but our minds can make decisions that our bodies will follow. I'm tired, but I'm going to go. Uh, I'm mentally a little drowsy, but I'm going to mean the words that I sing to God tonight. I'm going to give him this hour of of my energy and my body and my being. So that's verse 30, 31. Now, let's move into the body of of the sermon tonight. We're going to have four points. We're going to ask four questions and answer. And each one of these I think is significant. Either for us to apply to ourselves personally, depending on where we are in relationship to the kingdom. And if, if then otherwise for us to learn to be able to communicate intellectually or intelligently with others so that they might have the joy that we have. That they might be able to enter into heaven with us. You know, sometimes knowing the right thing to say at the right time is so valuable to be able to answer, to give an answer in The proper moment, proper attitude. First Peter three fifteen. So let's go into this. First question is, where was this man? Where was he? Now he's a scribe, uh, and he has uh, three. uh, Not where. Who? Who was this man? There are three characteristics. If you like to write in your Bible, I've written these beside these three verses, and I'll give them to you now as a map of where we're going, and we'll go back and discuss them. That way, uh, you'll, you'll be. happy, I'll be sure to remember to give you all three. Verse 32, who was this man? He was a knowledgeable man. I just wrote knowledgeable beside 32. We'll come back and discuss that in a minute. Uh, That's the second one. The first one is in verse 28. I'm sorry. Verse 28, he was a religious man. So he was religious, verse 28. He was knowledgeable, verse 32. And number three, he was sincere, verse 34. He was religious, knowledgeable, sincere. He's got a lot going for him that Jesus compliments him. Now, let's go back and and analyze those a little bit and maybe make some connections to ourselves and the people we love. He was religious first. Now, Jesus had been dealing with some people that acted like they were religious, but they really weren't. You know, in, uh, in this context, Jesus has been dealing with people. He's been dealing with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the publicans, and the multitude. And all of them are away from God, but for different reasons. The Pharisees are away from God because of their uh, formalism. You know, to them, religion was just checking boxes and doing, doing the right things, but they didn't put their heart in it. And Jesus says, Your heart's far from me. Matthew 57, nothing you can do without love, without the heart, is going to please God. The Sadducees, on the other hand, were arrogant. And they were this world oriented. They were what we would call they materialists. What that means is uh, what you see is what you get. In other words, humans are just flesh and blood. They didn't believe in the soul. They didn't believe in the afterlife. They just believed that, you know, you live this world and then it's over. So their questions to Jesus are about. Well, one of them, let's say, uh, well, this this uh, woman was married to a man, he died, married another man, he died. Seven men. I thought it was the seventh one. I might have wondered about her cooking. <laughs> 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 <Ooh-hoo. laughs> but he died too. Finally, she died. Whose life is she going to be in the judgment? Now, they didn't believe in the judgment. And they thought they had tricked it. You know? And Jesus said, you do err not knowing the scripture. And these says, "You don't get married in You know, it's not the same. It's not a physical place where people are married or given the marriage there. But as the angels haven't been we're angels, but as angels, angels are sexless beings. The so they don't get married. We'll be as the angels. That was their question. They are materialists. They're insincere. And then the the publicans. although some of them were better, they came to Jesus more readily than the first two groups. They were separated from him because of their vices, their sins." You know, the Pharisees called them publicans and sinners. And the reason that those two things are associated is because of the lifestyle of most of the publicans. And then the multitudes, they were away just because of their ignorance. They followed along the crowd, they followed the religious leaders who didn't lead them the right way. So Jesus is, you know, he's dealing with all these groups, and none of them are really truly religious until this man comes. And he comes with a question which is the first commandment of all. So he's he's done some thinking about this. And he's, uh, we're going to see in a moment, is not asking this to try to trip Jesus up and try to get some ammunition to use against Jesus later. He just really wants to know. He's a religious man with a religious question. And and what Shelby said at the beginning of the service is so true. If, If you have a question, God's people, if we know the answer, we want to share the answer. And Jesus shared an answer here with this man who had a sincere question. And you know the way to learn is not to keep your questions to yourself; to ask it. It doesn't matter what the subject or discipline it is. If you want to learn? Ask questions. Be curious. Uh, I, I like this quote from Einstein. Einstein said, I have, "I have no special talents. I am just passionately curious." <laughs> and I know Thomas Jefferson, although he, had, he was a man who played theaters all of our religion and leaders were, but I really liked his curiosity and how many things he was interested in and all the things that he collected and books and languages he could read Curiosity is the mother of learning, so ask questions. Religious. Number two, he was knowledgeable. We see that down in verse 28 because after Jesus gives him the answer that we already put he, he ponders it, but what he says in reaction to it shows a depth of understanding that few people that Jesus met had. Because he didn't just know the verses and be able to, you know, we gotta keep these six hundred thirteen laws of the Old Testament, and we gotta, you know, give minutes and two minutes and all, you know, all the things the Pharisees emphasized. He understood that those laws were important, but they were they were important because they had deeper meaning because they were a part of one's relationship or reaction to the love of God. And so the scribe said, well, Master, thou hast said the truth. He didn't come back with a, seeking to justify himself comment yet, or trying to look for a loophole. He said, that's a good answer. That's a good answer. For there is one God, and there is none other than he, and to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, all of soul and strength, love of so is more than all burnt of our offerings. So he got the point. And Jesus is impressed with that. He was knowledgeable. Now let's put ourselves in the story and have people that we come in contact with. And there are many religious people that may not be where they need to be yet, but there's something to be complimented about their, uh, their religion or their attitude toward God. They, they're not doing more because they just don't know more yet, but they know a lot. And they've read the Bible, and they've come a distance. They just, well, let's take a couple of Bibles out of this. What about? When you think about Apollos, who was a man who was mighty in the Scriptures, he was eloquent. But in Acts 18, Aquila and Priscilla, after they heard him preach, they knew there was something wrong with his understanding. And so they didn't jump on him right there, you know, in front of the Bible class. They, they after it was over, they took him aside. the side of I don't know if any fried chicken was involved in that, but probably did. You <laughs> know, come over for a supper, like we'll have a and we'll have a talk with you. Anyway, they, they showed him the more perfectly. And then he, he did that, he preached that. He was already an effective communicator, he just didn't know that the baptism of John was out of so he was still preaching an old baptism when Great Commission baptism had come into place, and he didn't know about that yet. And I believe that in that chapter Acts nineteen, when Paul comes to Ephesus, and there are some that were baptized by John's baptism after the cross, mm-hmm. and Paul hears about that, and he said, uh, "They said we didn't haven't even heard about the Holy Ghost." Well, he knew they couldn't be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. If they'd never heard about the Holy Ghost, they said, "Under what name were you baptized?" Under uh, John's baptism. So he taught them the way of God perfectly, and then they were baptized. Correct. They had never really been baptized scripturally, so they had to be baptized. It's not, it's not technically correct to say they were baptized again, although it was the second time they went into the water. But they were baptized correctly. That's what I was saying. What about Saul twice? Saul was a very dedicated religious man before he became a Christian. I mean, he, he was educated in the law. He was zealous of the law. He had kept a good conscience. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Why well, persecutest thou me? The Lord's back in heaven. Why well, persecutest thou me? And he asked the two most important questions that anybody could ever ask, and that every person must ask in order to go to heaven Who art thou, Lord? Who is Jesus? Well, how you answer that question will determine whether or not you'll be in the place with Jesus. Is He the Son of God? Is He the Messiah? And same question. He knew He was. He was speaking to him from heaven, so He knew He was Lord. But who are you? <laughs> and then I am Jesus whom thou persecuted. I can just see the frown on His face. <laughs> you know what He was on a trip to do in Acts nine. He was on a trip to persecute the followers of Jesus, to incarcerate them and perhaps to kill them, as he did Stephen on Acts 7. Jesus. Oh, that's a name I hate above all names. Jesus. Oh, that's Jesus. But you know his his sincerity, his religion, his knowledge, you know, it all goes together. Form, formulates immediately the follow up question. What would thou have me do? It. Now, here's for I'm, I'm in Acts 9, working up to verse 18, if you want to read this in a while, But I'm just summarizing for you. 1 through 18. What would thou have me do? It. So that's the second most important question to ask. Who is the Lord and what does he require of me? I didn't even know that. So the Lord does not answer him. This is the curious part to me. If somebody asked you, what to do to be saved? Would you say, uh, come back in three days I'd say None of us would do that. We would try to answer him immediately. But the Lord said, go to the city and he waited three days. Well, what he said was, go into the city and it will be told thee to what thou must do. You might want to circle that word must in your Bible, at least in your mind, because must indicates an obligation or requirement, something that's not an option. Go into the city and tell you what you must do. So, whatever he's told when he gets in the city, the Lord said that's what you must do. So he goes into the city, and then the Lord appears to the preacher at preacher didn't want to go. I've got a Bible study for you. Oh, good. You saw all the Oh, no. <laughs> I don't want to go. But the Lord said, he's chosen vessel. So Adonis, to his grave, goes over. Now, the Lord didn't tell him the first day, the second day, he said the third day. <clears throat> this is my people understanding of why that took place. We can take it first. Saul of Tarsus had spent all of his life studying Judaism, and he had spent the last years of his life since he had learned about Jesus and Christianity, fighting against it tooth and toe. And on the flip of a switch, seeing the Lord, he learned that his whole life had been wrong. But at least since Jesus had died on the cross. That his religion was out there. That was probably about eight years before Incidentally, Paul and Jesus were probably about the same age and they were probably in the city of Jerusalem several times together at a few growing up. They never met starting to In fact, one of the reasons that Jesus appeared to him was qualify him to be an apostle one of the qualifications for us to see the Lord. But anyway, uh, let go see if tell me what they must do and ask him okay, so three days, Why? He spent three days figuring out how to repent. Repentance is a change of mind that produces a change of lifestyle. So he's, he's going through things like this. Well, if that's true, Jesus, then that's not true. And if that's true, you know, he's, he's going through all these ifs and thens, Ifs, ifs, and thens. So it took a little while to figure that out. He couldn't repent until he could figure it, until he had it clear in his mind. That would take some time. And then preacher comes and says, um, this is Acts 22, 16. The The version of Saul's found in three chapters in Acts, Acts 9, Acts 22, Acts 26. It's the best cover of version in the New Testament. And we have some details in the other. The first one is when it actually happened, 20... Two and twenty-six. Later, Paul, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, goes over his conversion before kings and governors, so he's telling what happens. Anyway, twenty-two, sixteen. When the Ananias came there, he said, "And now, why you thou? What are you waiting for, Paul? You've been praying for three days. And now, why tarriest thou? Arise, get up. Arise and be baptized." And wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now, calling on the name of the Lord doesn't mean, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. They never have that in the New Testament. What it means is to call upon the Lord to keep his promise. It's the same thing in Acts 2 uh, 21. And immediately after that, they also call upon the name of the Lord when they gave an the opportunity to be baptized and on. Like and so it's our Arise and be baptized. Well, what did the Lord say right before it we went back to heaven? It took that nail scarred hand, pointed at a world he just died for, and he said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel of every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. You know, somebody says, Well, why didn't he say, He that believeth not and is not baptized shall be? That must mean baptism of science. Let's think about that for a second. The reason the Bible doesn't waste any words, if you notice that. There's some things that I like to know the Bible just doesn't say because it's just curiosity. And it's not necessary. But when Jesus made, no, Jesus made that statement, it, it would be parallel to this. He that eateth and digesteth shall live, he that eateth not shall die. Do you need to say, and digesteth? You get the point across. Because if you don't eat, you won't digest. Yeah. Same thing is true in Mark 16 and 16. He didn't believe that he was baptized, he didn't even disbelieve that he was You don't need to say about baptism, that's the motivation to be baptized. If you don't believe, you're not going to be baptized. Therefore, you can't be. Um, shall we continue to the King All right. Uh, <coughs> So he was knowledgeable, he was religious, and he was sincere. So let's just touch on that, and then we'll move to our next question. That's verse 34. This is one of the compliments that Jesus gave. As far as I can tell, Jesus only gave five compliments in the entire record of his life. I've got to bit my Bible. I grew up with a copy of this if you want. I not have time to preach it. So this is one of them. Uh, he says, and when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, that's King James You might have a version that says sincerely. That's what it means. In other words, he he wasn't putting on any airs. He wasn't pretending to, he wasn't thinking one thing and saying the other. He was was being honest, open, and transparent. Sincere. Now, it's good to be sincere, but it's insufficient to be sincere by itself. But sincerity is, uh, is required to go to heaven, but sincerity must also be educated. Saul of Tarsus, for instance, Acts 23.1 says, I've lived in all good conscience until this day. He was sincere when he was killing Stephen, a Christian. Because he thought he was doing really wrong. But he was doing really wrong. So he wasn't sincere. Alright, let's move to our second question. Where was he? And that's in verse 34. So who was he that? Where was he? Well, you said he was with Jesus. Yeah, that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is spiritually speaking. We know what city was in, what you know, what ge- geography he was occupying, but that's not what we're asking. Jesus makes a comment about where he is spiritual. So, let's read, it. Uh, he said to him, "Thou art not far from the kingdom of God." And no man after that durst ask him any question. In other words, when they figured out they can't beat Jesus as a place to stop asking. But this man is complementing us and they are not far from the kingdom. Now the kingdom is the same as the kingdom is the the group of those that are approved by God. When the church is established, it's the final iteration of the kingdom. It was the kingdom of God in the Old Testament, but it becomes equivalent to the church. Matthew 16, 18 and 19, Jesus said to Peter, Peter, upon the shock, I'll build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys to the kingdom of heaven. That's not two sentences, it's one sentence. So when he switches out two words, church and kingdom. He uses a synonym to each other. I might, uh, I might say, uh, Will, would you go out to my car and get my pen. I'm not resting the you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's when you know you've got a good illustration of what people believe. It. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's that what a big young man says. I don't like this boy. Uh, but I say, we'll go, would you go up to my car and get my pencil? It's the black van that's parked across the street. See, I just use two words for the same vehicle car and van. But everybody understands, we do that all the time. That's what he's doing when he says, when he says church and kingdom. He just did change it. Anyway, so that not far from the kingdom. He said, you're pretty close to being a That's how we'd say it. You're pretty close. But, where was it? Number one, he was near the kingdom. He was much better off than Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians, the Publicans, and the Multitudes that were at a distance from God because they didn't have the heart. He was close. That's a good position to be in. Um, <clears throat> but, number two, under this. He was outside the kingdom. It's good to be close, but it's not the same thing as being in um, Are you familiar with the Old Testament uh, cities of refuge? We read about that, I'm sure most of there's three passages to the Two of them are Numbers 35 and Joshua 20. And what happened is, uh, what they were for, is they had strict laws about killing somebody. If you kill somebody, you got killed. And that was the rule. An eye for an eye, a life for an all that. But he gives an illustration. If you and your buddy go out to cut firewood, and you swing the axe at the head and it comes off, and it hits your neighbor and kills him, did you know you do that? It was an accident. But the, it wasn't the police that showed up to deal with you. You know who it was? His near, nearest kinsman. And he was authorized to take your life. He would not be prosecuted for it. He was called the Avenger of Blood. Avenger of Blood. It would normally be father or brother, closest male relative. So they put six cities refuge, uh, one on either side of the river, north, central, and south. So nobody was more than a half-day's journey from the city of refuge. Wherever you lived, came.
1: So you would take
0: off road and get to the nearest city of refuge before your avenger blood found out what had happened and caught up to you. Because if he caught to you before you got to the city, you'd go out So imagine that happening. Now, if you were, if, if you use that for an excuse to kill your enemy and you invited your neighbor out there because you were mad and you did no purpose, well, you didn't get off because they had a trial. And if it were determined that you had hated your neighbor a four-time, then they would turn you over and to the But anyway, it would protect you and give you a fair trial. But anyway, what if this avenger of, of uh, what if the manslayer is fleeing, but he twists his ankle? On his way, and he's limping. And the Avenger of Blood is close by. And he finds out pretty quick. And this guy's limping, he's trying to make it. But he's not making good time. And this guy's catching him. And he gets close enough to see the city of refuge. But the guy catches him. Is he alive or dead? He didn't make He was close, but he didn't make it. If he had got in the city, the city would have protected him. He said, No, you can't come in here. He said, But until he got to the city. What about. Do you know the Old Testament story? probably do, of Naaman the leper. And Naaman was a Syrian. He heard that there was a prophet in Israel that could cure leprosy. Nobody else could cure leprosy, but God. So he goes down there. He goes to the king. The king doesn't know anything about it. He's not a righteous king. And uh, he says, Are you trying to just pick a file for me? the yeah, leprosy. And then, anyway, uh, the prophet finds out about it. He says, go jump in the river. <laughs> go, get yourself seven times in the Jordan River. And that makes him mad. He said, well, you got better rivers than that. I've been far, far better than your river. I'm going home. He went away to the range? And one of his servants said, uh, if he asked you to do some great thing, wouldn't you have done it? Yeah. I'm not So he we went back and gave to Mary. Now let's say that that servant hadn't said anything. just kept it to himself. He was this close to being cured of leprosy. Remember river's right there. But he left and went. And he went back and he was cured. If he had gone with him, would he have died a leper or a prince? Yeah. He would have died a leper. What about the blind man, John? Donovan? Jesus said, go wash. He spit and put it on his eyes. Put the on his eyes. And then he said, go wash it off and cool us all over. So what if this blind man was thinking about it all the way toward the pool? Somebody's there? He said, this is so dumb. Why am I doing this? I got mud on my face, and I go out to wash them. There's no special water, no magic in that. What if he just turned around and went home? Would he? Would he uh, receive the sign? No. Okay, another story. Uh, a young man, young no woman going to get married. They signed. You know, they went to the courthouse. They left the paperwork. The time is set. They're on the way. She's already there. And he's on the way to the building. It's just minutes away from the circle. He's in a car wreck, guys. Did he die single or married? He died single. You see, be almost something is not the same thing as being something. To be almost saved is not the same thing as being saved. To be almost in the kingdom is not being in the kingdom. So he was in a, he was outside. Number three, he was in a place of danger. <coughs> There's not a person in this room or outside this room that has a guarantee that you'll get up in the morning. Ghost not thyself in the Life is a vapor pierced by looking at the <coughs> Therefore, there is but a step, as David said to Jonathan. There is but a step between me and death. And it means. So anytime I'm not right with God, I'm outside the kingdom, I'm in a place of danger. Because there's not a second chance on the other side of death. It's not like, well, next time I come around, I'll do it. May no, you only get one shot at life after this adventure. Peter's not 27. Let's ask a prayer question. Why was he there? Why was he only near me Well, number one, it wasn't because he had to be. He was invited into the kingdom. There was, there's no unconditional election by God where God has chosen before time the names of all the people that will be saved, that will be born in centuries later, and all these people will be lost, I've predetermined, and I'm the sovereign God. These people saved, these people lost, and this was one of the ones who was lost. The Bible doesn't teach that. The
1: Bible teaches predestination and election.
0: But that's not, what it, that's not what it means. What it means is you have already won God's election. Did you know that? The devil voted against you. God voted for you. You cast the deciding vote. For I follow him. So God elected the plan. Right? He put in into effect. The plan whereby anybody can be saved, he invited everybody, and those who choose to come to the plan, they're elect. They're predestined. That's that's a, a simple way to start. But anyway, it wasn't because he had to be there that he was there. And there was nobody on earth that had authority over his soul to say, you can't enter the kingdom. Not a cardinal, not a pope, not a pastor, not a president, not a teacher. There's nobody on earth that can tell you you can't become a part of the kingdom. That's your choice. And God gives it to everybody. Come to me, all you that labor heavily, and I will give you rest. Now, people may try to stop you. But they don't have a problem. Even parents. Grandparents. Children. Spouses. Friends. Ultimately, I'm going to be judged according to my, my decisions. So whatever people think about me, you know, that, that, that's really not the deciding factor. It's what is God want. That's all we Now, um, let's... Let's, this a Let's apply this. I'm going to do away with the last question. I'll just, just put it right here. There are people today, every generation, who are not far from the kingdom of heaven. they get close. But will they go in? Some do, some don't. So what keeps a person out? You know, if if that door is the door to the kingdom, I'm this close to it, but there are some barriers between me. i got to step over them. i got to go around them. i got to push through them. i got to get through that door. Well, what are those barriers the devil puts between me and salvation? Just to click, click some of them off, there's plenty of them. What about money? Well, the rich young ruler was like that. Matthew 16, 19, 21. Jesus said, He came to Jesus and said, What to do to have to toe up? He said, Sell everything you got. Go follow me. And he went to go sorrowful for your great possessions. I've written in my Bible, beside that verse, his great possessions had him. And he had them, but they had him. They were trinkets compared to the gold that Jesus was going to give him, but he held on to his trinkets and he rejected them. What's possible today? But another one is uh, what about, what about fear? John 12, 42, 43, where you have some priests that believed in Jesus as the Son of God, but they would not confess him. They kept it to themselves. Why? Because their bosses, the other priests, the high priest said, Anybody that confessed Jesus, keep that. You're gonna lose your job and you're gonna lose space in this community. So you can say that. Fear. I find it interesting. Revelation 21.8 talks about uh, what keeps people out out of heaven, why people go to hell. And we talk about you may as a kid sung that song, you know, liar, liar, pen, something like you ever says, uh all shall other places place the plate that brings our first That's the part we remember. That's not the first part of The first, first part says, but the fearful. That's pretty insightful. What, what might keep me from both of that? Fear. Fear I can't keep up, and fear I can't do it. Jesus allows. Fear of what somebody saying, say? Well, what would Jesus say? fear of well you know we can have a of fear where Jesus is greater than a fear. Perfect love casts about fear. Number three, what about procrastination? Well I'm gonna do it sometime I uh, don't <coughs> see a calendar Where but it, it <laughs> you got a cal- a calendar memorized. So what place on the calendar do you find Sometime. Someday. It's not very easy. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, Today is the day of salvation. The only day God has ever obligated himself to is today. Today, he gave us life. Today, he gave us mental acuity to understand the word. Today he gave us the opportunity to be in this assembly here as workers. All right, let me spring this so close. Let, let me talk about two verses and maybe a couple illustrations. Let's go to Luke nineteen ten, and then we'll go to the last chapter of the Bible for our two verses. I'm not in a few others just to think of it, but those are our last two main verses. Now, why are you turning there? <coughs> I me tell you a story I a long time ago about a, a man who was collecting, he, he, would, he had a horse and buggy, like a horse and buggy, and he would go around, he was, he was a peddler in the old days. And he came to this really poor house, and the late a widow lived there and her, her sons, and uh, he said, I'm I'm buying relics. She said, Well, I, I'm, I don't have anything to say. He said, What about that uh, lead cannonball you got there cropping up the door? She said, No, I don't want to, I don't want to sell that. One my, my boys found that. And they used to play with it when they were small. And like, right, he said, I'll give you $25. That's a lot of money back then. And she said, Okay, it's yours. Gotcha. So he went and picked it up and carried it over to the woodpile and took an axe and split it up. And inside there were two handfuls of gold nails. He knew what she did know, And he was interested. In. So he gave her a half of them. And she sold them for $7,000. And he kept it. Well, that was enough to live on a long time, I <clears throat> People are like that. They don't know what they have. When they're near the kingdom and not in it, they don't know how, how much it's worth the beginning. There are two, this is not one of my verses, but there are two verses, stories that Jesus told. Parables. Matthew 13, through 346. You don't know have to turn i'll just tell you story. You know the thing. First one is about a man who's was walking in the field, he saw a treasure, and he went and sold all that he had. he said, I'll put Bob and he took the treasure. He said, this, everything I've accumulated all up to this point is not worth as much as what I see, and I can have in my possession. I'm getting rid of all I want to trade it so I can have this. The second one is, there was a man who was going from, we would say pawn shop to pawn shop, flea market to flea market. Yard sale, yard sale. He was looking for something. You may be a person like this. You have collectibles you got some certain things. He was looking for. It, right? special. And no doubt he'd look for a long time. But he was going, maybe going through a box in the back of one of those places. And he looked at the cross. He was so excited. You could almost see his hand shifting with the adrenaline. And he puts it back. He <coughs> back on the table. And he goes and he liquidates all of his assets. And he brings that money back. Pushes it across the counter. says, I want to buy. That's salvation. It's worth more than everything I've accumulated in my whole life Amen. I'll trade everything to have a ticket to heaven. Luke nineteen ten, Jesus said, I've come, the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. That's the mission to Jesus on earth. But the reason I wanted you to see it is because Jesus is fulfilling that right now. That He did it while He was on earth when He paid for our salvation on the cross. But what did He do when He went back to heaven? He started saving people. And every day that the Lord waits to send me back, a new name goes on His role. How many more people will be in heaven because Jesus did not come back today? At least not yet. A thousand people. Thousand. I don't know. But there's something. There will be one name that will be the last one written. Whose name that name? And then the Father says, okay, go we'll bring them home. It could be my name. It could, it could be your name. It could be somebody you talk to. Last passage, Revelation 22, last chapter 5. The Tennessee River flooded and the water was out of the banks and there was a stack of lumber that had been on the bank, but now it's about 100 yards out. The water swift. Just years ago. And the boys are down there watching the water go by and they notice that a rabbit was half and climbed up on that uh, stack of lumber out right there. And one of those boys I so said, I'm going to go get that rabbit. So he got in a canoe, a rickety canoe it. He dug it down there, paddled out there, and grabbed the rabbit, stuck it in his bimbo balls. Started patting him back and lost control of the canoe and flipped and drowned. Took him three days to find When the family one of his buddies the juggle out of the bag, one of his went and undone the bag and pulled out that rag. And he said, This is what he gave his life for. At the end of my life, what would somebody be able to point to and say, That's what he gave his life May I suggest that anything besides salvation is a bad church. It's a foolish lifetime. To live a whole life and you miss the one thing that's most important. Get in that kingdom. Get in the church. Find out salvation is. Stay faithful to it. That's the one thing that's most important. Okay. Now, we close with this passage in Revelation 22 last chapter. This is chapter 1189 of your Bible. And this is within five verses of the last verse. This is the fifth from the last verse. So it's 31,102. So this is 30,900 and whatever. You're right at the end. So everybody that ever finishes reading the Bible, this is one of the last things that's in their mind when they read the Bible. Let's read it together and analyze it. And the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit. And the bride. That's <clears throat> the Lord Jesus Christ, is the bridegroom or the bride of the church. But either way, the Spirit of the Bride say, Come. Invitation offered. Come. And let him that heareth that be us, who are Christians. That's what I've been saying tonight. Come. That's what this church has been saying this week. Come. This is what all those people are saying all the time. Come. Let him that heareth say, come. And let him that is a thirst. Uh, did, we, did you say something about Elvis? Did somebody say something about Elvis? Virgil. Yeah, Virgin. I went to Grace Lee years ago. Walked through and I saw him. Went up in his airplane. He used to fly that airplane out to Vegas for a peanut butter or two I went into his gold room and his piano and his horses, that's all. And I left that day so depressed. He had everything, and he had nothing. Uh, basically killed himself with drugs. Job, job. I just read uh, Killing Blades and two of the you know those Bill books. It's a whole series of things. There's a section there. He was thirsty for something he just didn't know what it was. So many people flitting here and there, trying to find it in drugs or sex or alcohol or success or money or vacations or education. There's so a thirst in there that just do not know how to quit you. Jesus said, the well, know what a lot. Thirsty, you know? I'm not thirsty. You know, I'm a little thirsty, literally. <laughs> I mean, you know, words flying out. All this hot air up here makes me thirsty. That's all I'm talking about. I'm not thirsty for God. That's the dear, passionate water. satisfaction. And then the last part, last part of the verse, and whosoever will, let him it take, it's available, the water of life, but how much will it cost you? You're going know, to think I'm told to you a, a contradiction but this is the truth. It will cost you nothing. And it will cost you everything. You don't have to bring your wallet. meaning and within five minutes of India. Six lessons. A lot of people do the psalms, good prayers, a lot of fellowship. It will be a success if this is how it ends. But I'll be honest with you. I hope this isn't how it ends. I hope it ends with angels. with a new brother or a new sister or a restored brother or sister who come back home. Now that's a decision nobody can make for me but I will never regret it. I wonder if I'm as near the kingdom right now as I've ever been. I wonder if the angels around the balcony of heaven are looking down into this assembly tonight, anxiously to waiting for us to sing the song. I don't believe that's a stretch. Because there will be joy in the presence of the Father, Luke 15 says. Over one center comes on. The decision might be made in the next three minutes that will echo through Oh, great. possibilities. <coughs> First two best answer. Wake up. I have decided